It's good to have you here today. Praise the Lord. You know what I'm looking at if you know Christ is your Savior? I'm looking at what the Bible calls His bride. I'm looking at the bride of Jesus Christ. The church is referred to as a bride espoused unto Him. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul said, I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you unto Christ, a chaste virgin. Now, that's an amazing thing. You know, wearing white is traditional. It used to represent that we, no one had ever had any kind of, of intimate relationship, that you were coming into the marriage chaste and a virgin. And how we're going to stand before God on that day as a chaste virgin, as if we had never sinned, as if we had never sinned, called the bride of Christ, presented unto him, as if we had never sinned. Now, you can't present yourself to him that way, because that would be sinless perfection. And the Bible said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word come short is a strong word in the Greek or a phrase in the Greek because it doesn't mean you missed the bullseye. It's a word referring to archery as shooting at a bullseye. You know what a bullseye is. There's the outer rings, the inner rings, and then the bullseye. It doesn't mean you're, you're close, but no cigar. You're close, but you're not a winner. You've hit the target, but you haven't hit the bullseye, but you're doing real well. The word in the Greek, the phrase in the Greek means you haven't only missed the bullseye. You haven't only missed the inner and the outer rings. In fact, you missed the whole target itself. Because if we sin in one point, the Bible said we're guilty of the whole law. So, if we say we have no sin, the Bible said we're lying. We're lying to ourselves, we're lying to others, and most of all, we're lying to a God who knows we're lying to it. You may convince yourself, you may even convince some people, but God will never be convinced. And the hardest people He had to get to repent were people that thought that they were so good they didn't need to do that. If we say we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth, but if we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive our sin. He's not just faithful for, to forgive. He's justified in forgiving us because our sin has been judged. If we receive Christ as our Savior, our sin has been judged in Him. He that knew no sin became sin without sinning. But He took our sins. Amen. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You know what that means? Bible scholars call this and other portions of Scripture the great exchange. That means your garment stained with sin. He takes it and wears it to the cross and takes the punishment for your sin. But what about His garment? It's called the robe of righteousness. By the way, it can't be your robe because... The Apostle Paul said, And being found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, that means keeping the law to the letter, which no man could do. That's why it's called our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It actually convinces us of how much we need a Savior. Amen. Amen. 
You say, well, I don't kill and I don't steal. Well, how about, do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body? Every moment. We've all sinned and come short, missed the mark of the glory of God. But when we're saved, when we confess our sin and we're forgiven, not only do we give up our robe that is stained with sin, but we are granted His robe. He don't wear our robe, His robe over our robe. There's an exchange that takes place. He takes our sin and is punished for it so God could be justified in forgiving us without breaking His law or, or going beyond His own holy obligation to judge. And just to know that Jesus took my punishment. The gospel in the Old Covenant is in Isaiah 53. They call it the gospel in the Old Covenant. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? When we saw Him, there was nothing that we should desire Him. Because He was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But surely He bore our griefs and He carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we were healed. All we, there's that inclusive word again, like sheep have gone astray. But God hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Therefore, I will appoint Him a portion with the great. I will praise Him. I will honor Him. I will exalt Him. And the phraseology that's used, wounded, was a word that didn't fit into their culture. It was only when the Romans came and introduced crucifixion as a means of punishment of death. The word wounded means to bore through. It's a nail being driven through. It's what it's representative of. It's Christ that is that Redeemer. He's the one that died for us. And I have made a prophetic statement that I stand by because I was under God's unction when it, when it came. The great revival that is needed and will come and is coming in America and to America is not going to be a revival that is brought forth by just the signs and wonders and miracles. Because we've seen those in pockets here and there. And every one stimulated by just people wanting that anointing. There's nothing wrong with one. I've been in those meetings. I've stood in those lines. I've experienced the power and the gifts of the Spirit are flowing. But it never produced a lasting revival. I've lived to be 70 years of age. And I've watched this thing. And I've watched these pockets of miraculous moves of God. But it did not, did not bring a lasting revival. It always fizzled out. It always fizzled out. It always fizzled out. But what he's going to do and what he is doing and what's going to happen is that there's going to be a revival based on Christians who have the joy of their salvation so restored unto them. Amen. That the world can't help but notice that without 
And there will be signs, there will be wonders, because we'll be people of faith, and we'll believe God for great things, because we find joy in Him in being saved. We don't have to have something else. We're not stimulated by something else. The unbeliever seeketh a sign. No sign for his demand is going to be given him. But these signs shall follow them that believe. Can you say man? Hallelujah. So signs are not gone. They're just, they're just displaced and misplaced. It's for the believer. But the revival is not based on signs and wonders. It's based on the joy of your salvation. Hallelujah. If you don't get excited about Jesus, I don't care if you've been saved 50 years like me, if you don't get excited about Jesus, no sign, no wonder, no falling out, no running, no jumping, no anointing, no appointing is going to give you a lasting revival. It's going to come when you drink when you, with joy, with joy, with joy ye shall draw water from the wells of salvation. Therefore the redeemed, the redeemed, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. Amen. With singing to Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon your head. Can you say amen? I've spoken these things unto you that my joy might be in you so that your joy might be full. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me a right spirit. Wash me with hyssop so I will be clean. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me and restore unto me the joy of your salvation. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh, by the way, when we get Psalm 51 right, and we get the joy of our salvation back, and it's the joy of forgiveness, because he wrote this after he was forgiven. You know what he wrote before Psalm 51? Psalm 32. When I held my peace... When I didn't confess my sin, when I held it in, my bones waxed old with roaring all the day long. It starts out with blessed the man. Blessed is the man. Everybody say happy to be envied if you were here last week. Happy to be envied is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose transgression is covered. I'm so glad that there's nobody in heaven or down here on earth that is going to show my past before I got saved. The devil might have me try to have me replay it in my mind, but nobody's got that footage. God's got it and He threw it away. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe everybody in here, if God showed the footage of all of your sins that you committed before you came to Jesus... If they put it up on that big screen right here. Get up from under that chair. Come on, come on. I didn't say he was going to. Amen. Can you, Thank you, Jesus. Can we thank the Lord? Can we thank Him? Blessed is the man whose sin, whose transgressions are covered. Are covered. Are covered. Oh, yes. How many were lost before you got saved? Amen. Would you want that replayed on this screen? If it could go into detail every sin that you've ever committed and see it in living color? No, it's a shame. It's a shame. 
It's a shame. It's embarrassing. It's something that, that accuses us and it helps the devil to, to point the finger at us. Look what you did. Look what you were. But that was then. And such were some of you. And it lists this list of things that we all did to some extent or another. And it said, and such were some of you. <laughs> but now you are washed. It starts with the cleansing that occurs through the blood of Jesus and the Word of God. Hallelujah. And now you are sanctified. And now you are justified. Can you say amen? Washed. Sanctified. Washed. Cleansed. Sanctified. Cleansed and set apart for a holy purpose. Justified. Forensic. Courtroom term. It is when they find you not guilty and the judge acquits you. And there's something, and you can ask O.J. Simpson about this. If you've been acquitted, they can never charge you with that crime again. Amen. They can get you for something else, but they can't get you for that one. Amen. It's behind you. It's gone. Prosecutor has, he might find evidence after you're acquitted that you did it, but he can't accuse you for it because it's, and you know what they do down in the lawyer's office if that's occurred? They expunge it. That's SpongeBob in reverse. Can you say, man? Instead of su it, he's sucking it up. He su it sucks it up. It's expunged. Not nothing to do with sponges. It's a it's a forensic term, and it means that on your record, to keep you from getting a job or keep you from getting a loan or whatever it is, when they look on your record, guess what? It's been expunged from your record. It's not even on your record that you ever did it. It's gone as if it had never happened. And God deals that thoroughly with our sin. The Christian life is not one of never needing that grace and that forgiveness. It's one of continually receiving it when we need it. So that we can get up and we can go on and we can be restored. Hallelujah. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every backslider that is feeling so guilty that they're staying away from God's house and feel like they, they don't have any relationship to God would recognize how willing God is to forgive them and restore them if they would just believe Him for that by confessing their sin and receiving His forgiveness. Hallelujah. If we could just appeal to those people. Revival will come to America not because there are pockets of signs and wonders. Remember when there was a revival in Lakeland? Of people getting healed? People came from all over America. Some people flew in from other places. But the leader of that revival failed. People put men and women on pedestals. And when people put them on pedestals, if they allow it, pride gets in the human heart. And when pride gets in, God was so concerned about pride getting in that Paul, one of his greatest and choicest of servants, wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament by reason of his revelations. He said, there was a gift given me from God. Amen? There was given to me an emissary from Satan to buffet me. It didn't mean that God sent it. It meant God allowed it. The devil's the one that sent it because it's an emissary from the devil. And you know what emissary means? A special agent. That demon had been charged with one thing. Get him to shut up. Get him to back off. 
Get him to be still. Get him to quit preaching Jesus Christ like he's preaching. Can you say amen? amen. Trip him up. Beat him down. Tempt him. Stay on him. Don't let up. An emissary. For, move people to come against him. Discourage him in every way that is possible to discourage him. Amen. It was given to me. And did it affect him? You bet it did. He said, I prayed three times to the Lord. And what was happening after the third time, and this thing seemed to be just as bad as it ever was, all these circumstances being brought into his life. Can I name some of them? Amen. Paul said, listen. He said, he said I, was, I, was, I, was, I was beaten with rods on three occasions. He said, I was beaten with a whip, given 39 stripes of the Jews on five occasions. So if you want to know what this emissary was doing, this was part of it. He said, I was, I was shipwrecked. And I wasn't just shipwrecked and rescued. I was in the deep for a day and a night. Amen. He said, I fell among thieves. I got robbed. Remember when they wanted to kill him? They said, we won't eat or drink until Paul is dead. And they, you know, there's some people doing that for Trump right now, I think. So pray for the president. They wanted to kill Paul. And they let him down. Over a bad, it seemed like every way he turned with all of this anointing, all this blessing, things were there to hinder him. To give him every opportunity to be discouraged and disgusted. Listen, when they whip you with 39 stripes, and why 39? Under Jewish law, it wasn't to be fatal. They found other ways to kill you. It wasn't to kill you. But they had discovered if they gave more than 39, people would go into shock and die from that kind of a whipping. He said, I got 39 stripes on five occasions. Do the math. Almost 200 stripes on his back. If you could have seen his back as those stripes healed, there was scar tissue all over his back. And you would think, that he would give you the biggest sob story you ever heard. If anybody had a right to be discouraged and say, pray for me. I'm a preacher of the gospel. Look what's happened to me. You know what he said? He said, nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Things present nor things to come, nor angels, nor principalities, nor circumstances. He said there is nothing, nothing that hell can do, nothing that heaven will allow that hell can do that will ever separate, never make me for a moment doubt that God loves me. And I'm going to tell you the fifth time you're doing the right thing and they're bending you over a post and tying you to it and beating you within and literally within an inch of your life about the fifth time you're 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 a human being and they got troubled down in asia and he told about it first corinthians the letter to the corinthians you know what he said i would not have you to be ignorant brethren and of course i told you about the widow woman that everybody was all the older guys were hitting on in the church and she got tired of it. 
And she said, I have a scripture. She didn't quote it exactly right. But she said, and you will know who I'm talking to. She stood up and said, I would not have you ignorant brethren. Well, anyway, moving right along. Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren of the trouble. I want to be forthright. Have you ever been around or heard these preachers that talk like all they have is answers and solutions. They don't have any problems. They may have a solution for the problem in God, but they have problems. I've been around them too, and it wasn't in the pulpit or up on a platform. But I've been meeting with pastors for over seven years, and I've talked to over 60 at a time in a room. And I'm going to tell you, pastors have problems. And the only way they get through those problems is trusting God, just like everybody else. Hallelujah. But they do get through them if they put their trust in the Lord. And the Apostle Paul said, if, listen, he said, there's nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Nothing, nothing present, nothing that can come. I was, I was, I was beaten with rods three times. I was given 39 stripes of the Jews on five separate occasions. I was shipwrecked. I was in peril of my life. I was naked and I was hungry. I sacrificed. I did without. You wouldn't think it to the people driving around in Bentleys and said that's God's will for everybody. But it obviously wasn't for Paul. There was a minister two weeks ago passed away at 63. At one of the largest churches in Atlanta, 25,000 membership. He drove a $350,000 automobile. But he didn't have the deliverance of God. And all of that money and all of that fortune couldn't help him when the cancer advanced aggressively and tore at his every cell in his body. Oh, friend of mine, not only is the blood of Jesus more precious than gold and silver, but the benefits of that blood is more precious than gold or silver. And is this such a time to go after silver and gold? No, it is not. This is the time to go after the full revelation and realization of what He did on the cross and what it can really mean to you and me today in the 21st century. Can you say amen? I'm glad there's forgiveness with Him that He might be feared and that I might be forgiven. I'm glad there's still healing with Him. Hallelujah. That when I was dying of cancer at eight years of age, there was help for me. There was hope for me. And I'm here at 70 today. One day I'm going to die of something. How many believe one day you're going to die of something? It's going to have to be something take us out of this world. Can you say man? But at eight years of age... God showed up and God showed out in my life. Hallelujah. And I'm here today to declare that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That healing didn't stop with the last apostle. Because here I am today in the name of Jesus Christ declaring that. Hallelujah. A time will come when a prayer for healing won't do anything. But until that time comes, I, like my mom and my daddy, turned their face to the wall. Amen. Hallelujah. And looked away from all that would distract. Satan wanted to distract Paul, disrupt Paul, discourage Paul, and stop Paul. But he wasn't able to achieve it. 
because Paul wouldn't let it cause him to doubt God's love when these things came. And he made a discovery after three prayers being unanswered. He said, he said, he said, lest, he said, I prayed three times for this thing to be removed from me. This thorn in the flesh, as he called it, in the way of the gospel. How can, how can this be good in any sense of the word? Because it's always in the way of the proclamation of the gospel. Why don't God just take it all away from me? Let me have a, a free flow and let me just have a smooth ministry. And the Lord spoke to him and said, Paul, my grace, when prayer is unanswered in an area, my grace is sufficient for that. You don't have to have me take you out of the fire. I can keep you through the fire. I can do for you what I did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look around, Paul. I'm with you in that fire. I'm with you when the flood tides come. You know what the Bible said in the Old Covenant? When thou passest through the fire. Not if you ever do, but when you do. Because you most certainly will. Think it not strange that what kind of trial? The fiery trial that has come to try you is some strange thing has happened unto you. Poor widow baby. Everybody else being blessed. Poor you going through a trial. Everybody else, if they are blessed, they've come through the fire to get it. Can we find take you through the fire in here or on there? It may not be in here. We're getting ready to quit, and I'm just getting started. Amen. Listen, nobody wants to go through the fire. But since you've got to go through the fire, in a faulty body, in a fallen world with, a, with an enemy like the devil, everybody's going to have fiery trials. Don't think it's strange. Here I am a preacher, Paul says. Here I am a, a proclaimer of the gospel, and all of this is befalling me. Why don't it befall somebody else out there? Somebody that's not doing what I'm doing. Love you like I love you. Serve you like I serve you. And you know what God's deep concern about Paul and all of his gifts and anointings was that pride would grow forth in his heart. It's an enemy of God. It is the sin that made an angel a devil. That's a heavy sin. It brings the resistance of God. God resists the proud. That's why, how, how hard is it for a rich man? Because riches and wealth bring position. And people, people try to ingratiate themselves to you because they know that you have money. You could do things for them. And if people are put on pedestals and they're used to people always ingratiating themselves. And pride enters the heart. And it can happen spiritually to a preacher. Because most of the leaders of gift and sign ministries ended up shipwrecked. I didn't say they were lost, but they went off the rails. Why? Because God resists the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. Humble thyself under the mighty hand of God. Listen, He will exalt you in due season when you are prepared to handle it. But if people will exalt you before you are prepared to handle. People will put other people on the pedestal. When Moses died, they would have enshrined him and worshipped at his shrine. 
and and God took Moses and buried him where they couldn't find him. Somewhere in the Middle East, Moses' bones are in the ground. And you know what the devil did when God wanted to do that? Satan contended with God over the body of Moses. That meant he said, leave him alone. Let the people bury him. Because he had a plan in mind. If they bury him right here, they will build a shrine to him right here. They will get their eyes off of you and get it on their spiritual leader. And isn't it happening today? Aren't there people that don't have any personal faith to receive from God, but if I can just get Him to lay hands on me, then I can receive. And when men receive the praise of men, they're lifted up above measure. Unless I be lifted up above measure, Paul said there was given to me an emissary from Satan to buffet me. Amen. Because of my many revelations, I was in danger of becoming proud and self-sufficient and self-confident instead of dependent on the Lord and humble. But he said, I have to pray to get through these things. And listen to his honesty. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble that we experienced in Asia, how we were pressed beyond measure. How, how many know you got a breaking point? Got a, I got a breaking point. Honestly, if you stood up and slapped me and spit in my face, I would do my level best not to smack you back. Especially you, you're bigger than me. <laughs> Might be easier you or, or maybe you. But I have a breaking point. You have a breaking point. Oh, don't look at me so sanctimoniously. I see bumper stickers, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot or whatever. It should be as your pilot. But anyway, that's probably the problem. You're driving, he's the co-pilot. And no, he, he ought to be the pilot. We need to rearrange that. There's a lot of things that need to be rearranged. I was walking in the mall the other day with my wife. We walked by Victoria's Secret. I said, somebody ought to sue them for false advertisement. Victoria ain't got no secrets. Anyway, that's just a little banter between me and my wife. You know it's true. Give me fist bump. All right. You're not too sanctified to walk the mall, but if you want to stay sanctified, you've got to sometimes walk like this. Amen. They got the other cheek messed up too. That enemy smite thee on one cheek, turn the other cheek. It means do not seek vengeance. Do not seek revenge. It doesn't mean not protect your family or yourself from someone trying to hurt you or harm you. Can you say, man, you try to hurt my wife or one of my children? Well, in fact, if you try to hurt my dog, amen, <laughs> we're going to have a problem. I'm 70. If you hit me, it's elder abuse. If I hit you back and win, you ought to be ashamed to let an old man whoop you like that. Amen? 
you wouldn't defend your family, you're not providing for them. I provide protection, not just pork and beans. Can you say amen? Amen. Come in my house and try to do what they're doing. You know, in, in Plant City, little old Plant City, way away from big old Tampa and bad old Lakeland. And you, in Plant City, the people drive up in their yard. A man and a teenage young lady, I don't know what it's all about, but three guys pull in behind them, force them into their house, going to rob them. And they go running from the back door out through the front windows or whatever, and both of them get shot. Both of them are going to survive. But now you look over your shoulder when you pull in your yard to see if somebody's going to pull in behind you. Well, if I get in my house, I'm not running out the front. If I get in my house, I got something for you. The Ajax can't take off. Can you say amen? No, you won't come in my house and do that. What are you going to do? Call 911? No, I can order a pizza quicker than I can get them to come. Amen. I'm serious. I've ordered pizza. They're busy. They got a lot on their plate. So it's up to me until they get here. So we need to quit interpreting the Bible wrong. Oh, thou shalt not. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't defend America because I would have to kill somebody. You better be glad there's somebody defended America. Amen. Well, the Bible said thou shalt not kill. It means thou shalt not murder. Why is Samson such a hero? Why do we, when we hear his name, we think of God's victory? Because the anointing of God came on him and he picked up a jawbone and slayed a thousand Philistines. And we say, whoa, Samson, whoa, Samson. But somebody come in your house, going to kill and hurt, rape and pillage, and you're not going to stand up and do something about it because you're a Christian? You better go to some other Christian's house that don't know the Bible. Amen. And it goes for the devil too. He goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. When he comes to my house, I want him to know. I want him to know. I want him to know beyond any shadow of a doubt. Amen. That he is not going to get a warm welcome. He's not going to hear me complaining, mully grubbing, always wanting sympathy instead of seeking victory. I will not put the welcome mat out for him. Can you say amen? He's going to hear the high praises of God. He's going to hear the Word of God. He's going to hear, oh, where's that prod right there? He's going to know that there's somebody in there with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Can you say amen? And taking the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. It is written... Jesus used it just three times. That's all it took. He was cut and bleeding so bad he didn't. He fleed from him. He left him and tempted him no more that day. It is written. It is written. It is written. And Satan had had enough. Three scriptures quoted by a man who honored the Word, who was the Word incarnate, and he had to take off. We got a whole Bible. We got an entire Bible. Filled with promises and principles, amen, that are yea and amen to everyone that believes. We got the whole armor. 
It's not given piecemeal. We've got every bit of it. The whole armor of God. We've, got, we've been given power over all the power of the enemy. Not some of it, but all of it. I cannot wallow in defeat when I have been provided such victory. I cannot sympathize and help people stay in defeat when what they need is victory. You don't need sympathy today. If you're down in a hole, you don't need to jump in, in it with you and cry with you. You need me to throw your rope, give you a ladder, get you out of there. Amen. You need somebody to quit agreeing with your doubt. To quit feeding your unbelief. Amen. I'm going to tell you what Paul told the congregation in his day that wanted to wallow in self-pity. You have not resisted like I have unto blood striving against sin. You haven't been tied to a whipping post. You haven't been beaten with rods. You haven't suffered what I have suffered. And what do you hear from me? Some of the worst conditions he were in, Brother Hobbs, was when he was in Philippi. But the letters he wrote to the Philippians were 100% joy and victory. If you're looking for sympathy, God can't give you victory. Amen. If you're looking for sympathy, God cannot give you victory. Because you're not after victory. You want somebody to sympathize with you in your defeat. And whoever does that. And I love my wife. I comfort her when she's going in a low place. But I do not sympathize. Because if I tell her that she's justified in being in that deep, dark hole... I am helping her stay in it because she's a Christian. We are not like others who have no hope. That's not just about death. That's not just about funerals and the promise of a resurrection. That's the promise of God's help in the here and the now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The God of hope, the God of hope, the God of hope filled you with hope in believing. Can you say, man, if you will believe Him, God will fill you with hope. And what is hope? The glad anticipation of future good. The world about us is without God and without hope. But we're never without Him because He said, I will never, no, never, 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 never in the Greek leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. People who have His help always have hope. Can you say amen? And through the patience and comfort of the Scripture, we have hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A people of hope. Prisoners of hope. Never helpless. Never hopeless. And what is hope biblically? The glad. It starts with gladness. The glad. The glad. The glad. Anticipation. Of future good. Hallelujah. Once you know that all things work together for good. You can have hope no matter what happens. If you ever accept that. As a biblical truth and a personal reality. All things that that knocked you down. Knocked the breath out of you. Spiritually. God can use it. 
And Paul said, he's using it in my life. Come on. The complaining church will, will become the complacent church. No doubt about it. You'll never take the land while living in that hole and justifying. Well, if you only understood my circumstance, isn't God bigger than that? Isn't he better than that? Is his peace that weak that when he grants it to you, it's not enough to help? We've got to get a hold of that. We're a, we're a, we're a society looking, looking for that perfect person. Being the perfect person is more important than finding it. Hello? You're looking for a person to complete you and fulfill you. And you know there's a place in you. It's a God-shaped hole in everybody here. And only God can fill it. And when God fills it, you can be fulfilled in the Lord. And then you can lighten up on somebody becoming everything you need. Because nobody can do that. I mean, Pamela thinks I can, but I told her I can't, honey. I really can't. I've been good to my wife. I'm a good husband. But until she found Jesus, she was always looking for something. But when she found Jesus, she found what she was looking for. And if the joy of salvation ever gets back in the church, and we start, see, salvation is eternal. It's ongoing. It's not like a series of meetings with some signs and wonders, and then it's over. Salvation is an everyday reason to thank God, praise God, live for God, serve God. I get up in the morning glad I'm saved. Hallelujah. So here's the deal. An effective evangelism? Oh, let's talk about it. Psalm 51. David wrote it as we really try to close. David wrote Psalm 51. After he had been convicted of his sin and sought God's forgiveness and got it. Psalm 32 was a man unrepentant. And he said, it is a miserable life. When I held my peace. When I held it in and didn't confess my sin and felt all the guilt and the shame day in and day out. My bones waxed old with roaring all the day long. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. Whose transgression is covered. Hallelujah. 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 He said, my moisture, my life, my life, my zeal for life, my moisture is turned to drought. But he said, when I confess my sin, all of that pressure was released. And I was relieved and peace came. Glorious peace came. And then he wrote Psalm 51. It says, create in me, a, wash me with hyssop and I'll be clean. In other words, this is how through a sacrificial system and the application of blood that even back then sins were remitted. Sins were forgiven actually, remitted in the New Testament. And he said, he said wash me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew in me a right spirit. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And restore unto me the joy of falling out in the Spirit. 
The joy of doing the chicken dance under the anointing. The joy of a Jericho march. The joy of getting healed. The joy, no, the joy of your salvation. Starting with sins forgiven, right standing with God. And then when enemies come, God stepped in and the enemy stepped back. Restore that unto me. Give the victory back. Amen. Then, then, bumper sticker isn't enough. Handing out a tract isn't enough. Interceding for someone is not enough. We need a life that speaks. Then shall sinners be converted unto you. Because I have a testimony. I bear witness to your truth. They can see where you brought me from and where you took me to and know that our God is the true and the living God and He can do it for you. Then, and only then, shall sinners be converted unto you and transgressors will learn your ways. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And that's the revival that the church needs today. The church will get in any line that's going if there's power in it. We'll stay to one in the morning and not complain if we're waiting to have hands laid on us. How do you know? Because I've been in those lines. Because I got sick with nervous exhaustion. And I hit the lines wherever they were, wherever the anointing was flowing, I was going. I'm serious. I went 600 miles to get in a line. Amen. I fasted. I prayed. <laughs> Amen. But deep in that valley, deep in that valley, deep in that valley, deep down in that dark valley, God taught me something about the sufficiency of His grace. Hallelujah. The tenderness of His mercy. The might of His arm. Amen. He taught me about the invisible being more viable than the visible. He taught me to walk by faith and not by sight. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. I wouldn't want to be through that again for a million dollars, literally. But I wouldn't take a million dollars for the experience either. Because I got to know God better in that valley than I ever knew Him on the mountaintop. Sister Dale, i got to have have a fist bump. That valley is dark. It is deep. But, but oh, you too. Amen. It's dark. It is deep. But oh, He's in there. He's in the furnace with you. He's in the fire with you. He's in the flood with you. And when thou goest through the fire, it will not kindle on thee. It won't do what it normally could do and would do because I am with thee. Can you say amen? When thou goest through the floods, they won't drown you. They won't overflow you because I am with thee fear not for I am with thee he says it over and over the most repeated term in the New Testament is fear not wow wow hallelujah hallelujah what a merciful God we serve Paul said I would not have you to be ignorant of the trouble that we experienced in Asia how we were pre- we the apostles, the miracle workers, the anointed one, we were pressed beyond measure and despaired of life itself. The persecutions were so bad they would rather just go to sleep and go to heaven 
than have to stay here and carry on. Now, you've hit the bottom of the barrel when you hit that. They were not suicidal. They just would rather go home than stay here. You know what Moses said? He said, I can't take it anymore. I'm the leader. Oh, hot dog. I'm a leader. Hot dog. I'm a leader. Hot dog. No. I got three million people and everything that's... If Sister Hoopendicker's sheep, goat, eats Sister Hoopendicker's laundry, guess who is at 6 a.m. when the sun rises at Moses' tent? Both these sisters at each other's throat. I want justice. My, 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 my husband's long johns are in that goat's stomach. I can't get my long johns back, so give me the goat so we can have goat stew for supper. I'll pull the long johns out <laughs> when we get to that point. Everything, everything was at his, and from day, no, literally from daylight till dark. Moses, you've got to fix this. Moses, you've got to handle this. Moses, what are we going to do about that? And you know what he did? His, his father-in-law was right outside his tent, heard him praying. What did he pray, Brother, Brother Hoff? He said, Lord... Lord, take me. I don't want the people to see me. What did he say? Oh, that's what his, that's, Moses said, take me on home. But he heard him and said, take men, 70 men, 70 men, and anoint them with the. Oh, go, break, break it down. Break it down. Let them judge them, and you take a break. I love Brother Hobbs. Lord knows I need a cruise. Amen. Hallelujah. Where are you going to go, Brother? I don't know. Just anywhere. <laughs> Amen. I really don't go on cruises. I just don't care. It's not my thing. I'd rather go in a car to the mountains or, or to the beach. And maybe we'll do that for our anniversary. Choose 70 and then break it down and break it down and keep that anointing going to others that will administer all of this to free you up. New Testament, same thing, same thing. Amen. Choose you seven men full of the Holy Ghost to take care of all this other stuff that you see the need for and the need exists for, but you can't pile that on one person. You see a need, stand up and say, I'll do that. I see a need. I'm going to do it. So anyway, that we might give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Because when you walk out of that, when you walk out of intercession and you walk out of the, the study, rightfully dividing the Word, you walk out of your calling. And then you're what men demand of you instead of what God has commanded of And then you burn out. Then you burn out. And they're burning out all over America. At the end of this year, 20,000 pastors in America, not worldwide, not globally, in America. 20,000 statistics are in. They don't change. They're getting worse. 1,700 will leave the ministry in 30 days in America. 1,700 will burn out. Their marriages will collapse. How we need a revival. 20,000 will have left the ministry by the end of this year. Because of the pressures on the marriage, the pressures on the minister. 
because they're pressed beyond measure. And the anointing and the visions and the experiences do not increase your breaking point one iota because you are in a faulty body, a human body. You're in a fallen world. So Moses had to find an answer or else just the responsibility of the leadership was crushing him. And Paul put it this way. He said, we would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble that we had in Asia, how we were pressed beyond measure and despaired of life itself, that we might learn not to trust in ourself, but in God who raises the dead and grants the victory. And it's something you learn by getting there in your life. You don't learn it by letting me tell you about it or reading about it. You have to come to an end of yourself to qualify for this grace that is all sufficient. And people with heavy anointings feel like they'll never come to that place. They should never come. They should never be in that place. And what is the reason that we put ourselves so high spiritually? That we always feel like that's for someone else. That is not for me. I am higher. Paul said, I'm not. I'm not. Jesus wasn't above praying. And Jesus, because of his humanity, needed companionship when he prayed in the garden. He asked the most unlikely man in the world, to, to stand by him, Simon Peter. Peter, I'm going into the garden. You stay here and pray. I've got to do this by myself, but I need to know that you are praying also. Isn't it something that Jesus of Nazareth, because he took on flesh, had that same need for someone to stand with him? And when he come back, of course, because... Jesus knew it himself. The Spirit's willing, but this flesh is weak. Don't depend on it. Don't lean on it. You can't trust it. All you can do is crucify it. Put it to death. Don't let it be the ruling influence in your life any longer. There is a sufficient grace. There is a sufficient grace. But you don't get it by continuing to prophesy when you're discouraged and defeated so you can get attention in church. Amen. You get it by admitting your need to someone that will pray with you and pray for you. I know people that keep that front up and God can't help them. And you know something? They, they blow their cover in their personal life. The cover is blown. They can't sustain the joy. They can't produce the peace. Because they just don't have it. Because they have not discovered. Oh, they know the power of God. The power, the power, the power. But they're not very close to the person. And you would think the most powerful people would be the most intimate with God. But that's not the case. That's not the case. Tongue-talking people who are not close to God. And just because you talk, that's a gift of the Spirit. That don't mean you're close to God. Don't fare any better. How do you know? Because I've been a pastor this long, over four decades. So I'm a student of the Bible, 
I'm a student of people. I've met some of the most powerful saints that you'd ever want to meet. How do you know? They let me know how powerful they were. Amen. And some of you give them the same credit. I listen to you too. This person is really... Oh, really? Why are you so skeptical, Brother Venable? Because I just don't believe that. If you wait long enough... You're going to see the real person at some point. Huh? Come on, there's a real person behind all of that hoopla. And that real person puts on their clothes like you do, go through their trials like you do, get discouraged like you do. And if it wasn't for God's grace, they, they couldn't even live or breathe without it. But you can't qualify for it as long as you're on a pedestal. You have to come off that pedestal and put God on the throne. Can you say amen like David did? I believe God's going to restore the joy of our salvation. I believe God is going to bring some people out of some places that the devil said, you'll never get out of here, but they're going to come out of there. And not only are they going to have their original salvation experience, but they're going to experience his deliverance from whatever the devil has trapped them in. And they're going to come forth with joy. Amen. Therefore, the redeemed shall come with singing unto Zion. Make no mistake about it. We're not, we may be knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Therefore, the redeemed, no matter how many setbacks they've had, how many enemies they've got, how many times that the enemy said, you'll never rise from here. Oh, make no mistake about it. Therefore, the redeemed shall come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. Nothing will stop it from happening. If we look to God, God is going to deliver everyone in this room from everything that you are facing. I will not get in the hole with you because I do not agree with you. And two can't walk together except they agree. I cannot agree that God won't help you. I cannot agree that God don't love you. I cannot agree that the chains are so strong on you that they can't be broken by the anointing for the anointing breaks the yoke. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. I will throw you a rope. I will throw you a ladder. I will tell you that the God of Jeshurun, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God today. Hallelujah. And he's still a deliverer. Hallelujah. And a Savior. Woo! Let's stand to our feet and give him glory. I know you're getting hungry. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Somebody preached this to me when I first got saved. Oh, my Lord in heaven. My God in heaven. My God in heaven. Hallelujah. How many have a little little something stirring inside you right now? Something called hope that is bursting forth. Well, faith follows hope. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. So when hope comes alive, it means faith's getting ready. Amen. To reach out and grab it. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. So if you don't have hope, you can't use faith. But the moment that hope comes, how many, how many is your hope elevated a little bit? How many feel like you're, there's no hopeless situation? How many feel like your situation is not hopeless? 
How many, how many feel like that, that there's no hopeless situations because of God and His love for you and me? Hallelujah. Thank God for that because faith is going to reach out and take a hold of the unseen. Hallelujah. And it's going to be manifested in the seen world. Glory to God. I'm a manifestation of what my mom and daddy hoped for when they took me by faith to have prayer for cancer of the blood. I had no bone marrow transplant. I had no treatment at all. God gloriously healed me. I'm a manifestation of hope when people prayed when they heard their pastor had had a bad stroke and was in the hospital. And people prayed. They prayed to a God who's called the God of hope. Brother Venable is not in a hopeless situation. He's helpless. He can't do certain things, but he's not hopeless because God is still on the throne. And God loves him. And we're going to pray for him. And we're going to intercede for our pastor. Hallelujah. And on the second half of the third day, noon the third day, a man that's supposed to be debilitated, a man that would normally have to go through, if I survived it, to go through some kind of, of therapy to try to get my speech back, to get the use of my arm and leg back, which was like it was dead. Amen. God heard the prayer. He began to heal me in the emergency room. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. And on, and on the third, and they put a bracelet on me to say it was a purple, purple bracelet that says you can't go to the bathroom without help because you're liable to fall. You're a stroke victim. It was a bad one. <laughs> oh, amen. I was so glad when the nurse come in and cut that thing off of me. I don't like to go to the bathroom with other people. <laughs> it's just me. It's probably one of my quirks. Can you say amen? Maybe it's because we had an outhouse when I was a child. <laughs> and it was a double-seater. And, and I thought it was, I thought, you know, kid come home to spend a night with me from second grade. And <laughs> he said, where's the bathroom? I said, come on, I'll show you. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> I thought, man, we got a double-seater out here. Amen. It had, it had two seats in case of emergency. Two people could get in there at the same time. Portalets don't. Listen, portalets only got one seat. Can you say amen? So, so he went out there and, and looked. I thought, Lord, have mercy. Amen. He looked at that thing like a calf at a new gate. He didn't know what that thing was. I said, go on in. I'm proud of it. We were so poor. I didn't know we was poor. Amen. That's how poor we was. God has been good to us. I get up and rejoice over inside plumbing. You're waiting on something. Next time you go to the pate, amen, thank God you got a pate. Amen. I was in Haiti where there was no potty. There was no place to go. We were there for, for, for 12 hours in this place we were going to preach. Brother Spain was with me. Oh, he was an evangelist with that evangelist hair. I mean, it was the buffet. Buff, buff. It was, I mean, it really was. You know, you, 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 you blow it dry and then you spray it in place. And, and he had that, he was out there and he dressed, he was ready. Boy, he, he brought all those preacher clothes and I brought me some jeans and I had a tent, a tent big enough for three people and there was eight of us in it. We, we got ready to go to bed. And the missionary told us, he says, oh, be sure 
and, and check around with your flashlights before you lay down wherever you're going to lay down because there's tarantulas in this area. That's some big fuzzy spiders that will bite you. And they found out I had a tent. And I had seven men help me set it up. <laughs> and it was a three-man tent. And we all got in it. And honey, you talk about being brotherhood. We, we, we had brotherhood that night. But the, they all got in it before I could get in. And I brought the tent. I had it in a pack on my back. And so I guess they thought we was going to stay where they're used to staying. <laughs> you know, in some Motel 6 or some Conrad Hilton. But neither. I'd have, oh, Motel 6 would have been great in Haiti. <laughs> I had to lay at the bottom. They're all this way, and the only way I could get in, there's no room for another one this way without being outside. So I had to lay at the bottom where they're all this way, and that meant all their feet. And I'm going to tell you something about 95 degrees and high humidity and them walking around in wingtip shoes. Amen. Instead of sandals. Them feet stink, brother. I just laid my head down and said, Jesus, I thank you so much. <laughs> for giving me the wisdom to bring this tent. <laughs> and then suddenly, suddenly, one of the brothers said, I got to go. <laughs> I said, okay. He said, get that light and come with me. I said, okay. okay. God knows how to get you humbled down. You might be big shot around here. You get out in the boonies like that. So, so here we go out the back hunting. They had built six on one side, six on the other, because there were several hundred people coming to the meeting. Something for the people. Just dug latrines, we would call them, holes in the ground and put something over it anyway. When, when we got near that thing, we thought there might be a stall empty. Well, when you get several hundred people, there is no stalls empty. So we, you know, I got this light. We're walking, I see that thing there that they built, and I put the light over there to see if there was a stall empty. And all them eyes looking back at me, illuminated. And I put the light back down. I said, okay. And we went a little further. I said, brother, there, there ain't no stall empty. He said, well, you stay right here, and I'm going over there. And he walked down through, looked like palmetto-like stuff way back in there, somewhere in the dark. And he was, you know, you have to go. you got to go. Man's got to do what man's got to do. And all it was very quiet. You could hear the crickets. Everything's very quiet. All of a sudden, I heard, brother. I said, yeah. What? He said, did you bring any paper? You know, when you're packing the tent and you're packing all this stuff, you assume that somewhere, even in a campground somewhere, that they have this, you have this bathroom, you know, that they can go somewhere and, and suddenly, no, I didn't pack any paper. Did anybody? No, of course. We didn't know we were going to be out here. We came here on a mission trip. We were going to stay where there's facilities. We are going to take excursions out here and come back to the facility. No, you're out in the woods, son. Amen. Now, I, I don't know what he did. I have no idea what he did. I didn't shine the light anymore. Some things you don't want to see. Can you say amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. But we got humbled. 
we got humbled. We got about as humble, and we got tired after a while preaching in this hot weather, and we got thirsty. And the missionary said, we drank what little bit we had in the canteen that I brought. And we went to a little place and purchased some oranges. And we opened them with a knife and sucked the orange juice out of the oranges. So our mission trip wasn't one of these, you know, stay in that great motel and drive in that great Land Rover under air conditioning. We were out in the boonies, but we got to preach the gospel. And we got to see the salvation of souls. And we got the joy of Jesus. And I wouldn't take anything for that particular trip. But nobody came back feeling like a big shot. I felt so humble sitting on that plane. And they brought that meal that people complain about. Amen. I thought, oh, Lord, thank you so much. These people have so little and we have so, we're so blessed. And I came back to my church on that Sunday, fresh out of that experience. And I saw people that had more than enough. And had Jesus. And more than enough. But were not happy and were not fulfilled. And many were unthankful. And I said, oh God, what's wrong with this picture? What needs to be corrected in America to where we can be thankful for all the bounty and blessings that you so lavishly given to us that we might rejoice in you. I know there's tough times. I go through them. But, oh, God is so good in the midst of the toughest of times. And His grace is sufficient. Hallelujah. And His strength is perfected not in those professing to be so powerful and strong and spiritual. He, he can't never have His grace perfected because they're still promoting themselves. And that proves dependence on self. When you promote yourself, you're dependent on self. I'm sorry to bust your bubble. But it'd be better I bust it with the Word than God have to let it bust through what will happen in your life if you continue to promote yourself. You know people that when you meet them, they begin to declare their spirituality to you. That comes from an insecure. That ought to be self-evident. No one should have to tell you how spiritual they are. Amen? In fact, is the most spiritual people, they're humble. They're meek. Some of these people can't stay under a ministry long because they're too wanting to tell somebody than to listen and to learn and to grow spiritually. They don't have a teachable spirit, so they just run from church to church declaring their spirituality. And they know what's wrong with you and everybody else but they don't know what's wrong with themselves because they can't ever see themselves as God sees them as they truly are. So I, no one impresses me but Jesus. There's people I honor because they're serving Jesus, but nobody really impresses me but Jesus. I said nobody. Have you heard Brother so-and-so? No, and if I did hear him, he wouldn't impress me like Jesus. Have you ever heard sisters? No, but if I did, they wouldn't impress me like Jesus. Amen. Because I just won't put a person on the pedestal when God is supposed to be on the throne. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads today? How many need the joy of your salvation? You know you need that joy. 
Hallelujah. And the strength of it. Before anything else, I love you today. I would get in the hole with you, but that wouldn't help you and it would hurt me. And then I couldn't help the people that will take a hold of the rope when I throw it to them. And the rope is Jesus. All that he is, all that he's done, and all that he offers you and me today. And if he can't pull you out because you won't take the rope, I would love to help you. But I simply cannot. But God can and he will. Hallelujah. 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 Some of you are going through fiery trials. Some of you are going through deep depression. Some of you are going through confusion. And you can't tell God from the enemy and the enemy from God and self from the spirit and the spirit from self. And God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Whatever he speaks and whenever he speaks, he will say, peace be still to the troubled waters of your soul. Hallelujah. If he doesn't speak to the storm, he will speak to you. Peace, be still in the midst of the storm. And what he's saying when he does that is, be still and know that I am God. And when you can be still, you can stand still instead of panic and try to straighten people and things out and control things. You can just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Hallelujah. So that that troubles you, keeps you up, keeps you tore up, give that to God today and let His peace begin to reign. Let it begin to rule. Give people to God. I've got a, I've got a son with multiple strokes, neuro, neuro, neurological problems. The other night I was so tired, I finally got in, got ready for bed, and he called and said, Dad, can I talk to you? And I sat there for two hours after I was already exhausted, but I could, I could feel the grace of God supporting me. My wife was concerned about me because when, you, when you're tired and then you've got to deal with something and you're already kind of reaching your physical limits, but the grace of God is sufficient. And I wanted to keep that rope extended to my son. And don't get so deep in that pit of depression that you feel there's no way out. There's hope in God. There's hope in God. Hope thou in the Lord. He'll yet be the health of thy countenance. And I'm going to declare to you today there's hope in God because there's help in God. He's going to help you in that right early. He told David, it may not be early to you, but he said, I haven't forgot you. I'm on the scene. I'm going to show up and I'm going to help you out.